Guys, I'm so sorry about the rain. Is everyone okay? It's quite cozy. That is it? the most womanly thing you can do, Scarlett. <laughs> Guys, I am so. Can I just apologise first of all for weather? Generally, I'm so sorry. Hello and welcome to the Feminist Don't Wear Pink podcast, based on the book Feminist Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. I'm your host, Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, proud feminist, and curator of our book and host of this podcast. Today's episode is live from Latitude Festival. I have been attending Latitude since I was 12 years old, and over the last 12 years, I have done a lot at the festival. I have cried there, danced there, fallen in love there, gotten covered in mud there, had a panic attack there, actually many panic attacks there, and visited the festival twice in a wheelchair. It is honestly one of my favorite places on earth, and it was a ridiculously surreal experience to get to do an actual show there myself. My guests this episode are kind of amazing. Catherine Ryan is a comedian, writer, presenter, and general incredible woman and hero of mine. She's been on literally every TV show of all time, and her latest stand-up special, Glitter Room, just hit Netflix and is incredible if you have not watched it yet. Connie Huck is a writer, presenter, DJ, and author of the upcoming children's novel, Cookie, which is just brilliant. Um, And if you have any children in your life, I would thoroughly recommend reading it. And actually, if you don't have children in your life, I read it myself and it's great. And finally, Ashling B is an actress, comedian, and writer. She is one of the kindest and funniest people I know. And she actually volunteered to be on this podcast because I was too scared to ask her. She too has been on every panel show, won every stand-up award, and she's a really incredible supporter of the Repeal the Eight campaign. Her new TV show, This Way Up, airs on Channel 4 this August, and I'm very excited to watch it. It was a true delight to sit down with these three amazing women and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I loved recording it. Hi everyone! Um, Okay, you can stop clapping now. There's so many people here! Thank you all so much for coming. This is ridiculously exciting. I have been coming to Latitude since I was 12 years old. Um, I've worn many awful outfits here. Uh, I came here once in a wheelchair, which was fun, and loads of people gave me free things. Um, And now I'm here doing a podcast. Um, Okay, I'm going to introduce our guest. Our first guest is a comedian, writer, presenter, and generally the most incredible woman, Catherine Ryan. Um, our next guest is a writer, presenter, DJ, and author of the upcoming children's book, Cookie and the Most Annoying Boy in the World, Connie Huck. Um, and our last guest is an actress, comedian, and writer. She is one of the kindest and funniest people I know, Ashlyn B. Okay, we did all the admin. Now I feel calmer. <laughs> um, okay, first question for all of you. Are you a feminist? No! <laughs> Never. I hate them all. Mm. Definitely a feminist. Good. 
It's great for the brand, though. I think we'll all be fair to say. To say your is name, anyone you know, so. here not? <laughs> is anyone here not a feminist? I don't I know if my 15-year-old brother is. I think some people don't I understand what it means. Yeah. Someone's Agreed. not a feminist out of ignorance, you know? Yeah. And I think it, one of us should definitely become a misogynist because I think it's a real gap in the market, like a real Tommy Lauren type, mm. like... Yeah. Can I just say you look real hot in those boots but not really you. listening to what you're saying? Misogynist if, if someone it's did good, become a misogynist, they'd get loads of followers on loads Twitter. Of followers, they? Yeah. they would be so popular, like Katie Hopkins. Yeah. That's it. That's we actually did. Oh, Anyone to up their followers become a become misogynist. a misogynist? We actually did so many events around the launch of this book that by the end, I actually wasn't a feminist anymore. I'm over that. I'm moving yeah, on. I've done. Done. Um, okay. Topical question: uh, Do you think there is pressure for women to look a certain way at festivals? Because we all just got ready, and it took me about half an hour, and it took my brothers about five minutes. And I know that's not like the biggest feminist issue, but I did find it quite annoying. <laughs> it probably shows. This is washing it out all the misogynists. <laughs> Be gone! <laughs> I've got two young children who were here and they were so elated to be sleeping in a caravan last night that there was no sleep had by any of us. So I had no choice but to get ready in five minutes. Hence, I look like I've been dragged through a hedge backwards. Lovely. Uh, so I know what it's like no, to be your brothers right now. Yeah. In fact, I do most of the time because my children do that quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but how, I mean, in general, you're a very... Use some. How do you feel? Because I love getting dressed. I love doing my makeup. But sometimes I do get angry at the time that we spend doing that kind of stuff. I think blokes should spend more time doing that stuff, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you do look at Halloween or something like that, and that's what I love about drag, it gives a safe place for men to enjoy what we've enjoyed for thousands of years. The art of decorating yourself and dolling yourself up into something else is quite a ritual. My sister had a lovely um, thing she said about Pride, that what the, the lovely thing about Pride is, especially if you ever go into London during Pride, everyone is wearing their maximum version of themselves all of the maximum colours that they want as opposed to when you're put into suits when you're in an office you're covering up who you are it's almost like it, it can be an explosion of who you are on the outside during Pride and I actually think there's a lovely thing about being able to like cover yourself in biodegradable glitter and um, yeah thank you Catherine you yeah. saw my tweet um, and just like putting on your the, the most colourful self yeah isn't I that agree. what RuPaul says we're all born naked and everything else is drag yeah Guys, I'm so sorry about the rain. Is everyone okay? It's quite cozy. That is it? the most womanly thing you can do, Scarlett. <laughs> Guys, I am so. Can I just apologise first of all for weather? Generally, I'm so sorry about it. Oh my, I'm so embarrassed for you, Scarlett. It's actually embarrassing. It's Scarlett. Ashley, I didn't even ask you to do the podcast. So. <laughs> no, I just walked on. It's weather, but it's good. Me on stage because we're covered. <laughs> so this is good. It's good. Good weather. Yeah, it's cozy. It's cozy. Yeah. It's like we're preparing for the army. Yeah. Um, okay, Catherine, I want to begin by asking you a question. I like the percussion that I get for the question. Like, buh, 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 yeah, buh, there's buh, a question buh, coming buh, right you. now. Um, it's going to make your answer very jazzy. Yeah. yeah. Do it in time to the raindrops. So, Pizzicato. I just watched Glitterum, and I think a lot of people here just went to your stand-up special. Thank you. Um, Thank you for coming. Sorry if you saw my butt. One of the things, I loved it so much, as I just told you quite profusely, but 
one thing that I think is really special is it's basically a kind of ode to being a single mum. Yeah. And what that phrase means. Um, and it's so beautiful. Do you think that, is that a conscious effort on your part in your comedy to kind of start breaking down the way we think about that word and what we talk about? Yeah, I always write comedy in the moment of what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I had just bought a property, which I definitely didn't think I would ever do in the UK. And I had just been through a breakup. And I was really questioning why I think women get uh, saddled with this no matter what you achieve. If you don't have a man, then you're not good enough. Yeah. And it's like, yes, to you. <laughs> and I just think it, it's so ridiculous. And people do get angry. When I say people, almost people, men get angry about, <laughs> no, <laughs> they get angry about the special sometimes. And all that I say is that I don't need a man. You can have one if you like one, but I've learned that for the first time very recently, we're allowed to own property, open a bank account, buy a house without the signature of a man. You used to need that legally to be a person. Yeah. And they get mad at me. I'm like, get mad at that. This is so true. You know, women didn't used to be able to claim unemployment benefit if they were married, like not even that long ago. And people so don't realize how society's just so geared up. Sorry, guys, I'm going off on one This is what the podcast's about. Yeah. (laughs) You can go. Apologies, guys. (laughs) Screw you all. Um, No, but the the thing is, and there's a brilliant book, Caroline Criado Perez. Yes, I love that book. Which just shows, yeah, give that. What's the name of the book? What's the name of the book? Invisible Invisible Women. Women. And it shows the gender bias in society, which is kind of stealth gender Mm. bias. It's Mm. gender bias you don't even realise. It's not this sort of obvious thing where it's all geared up to be a men's world. But, you know, things are changing, but not enough. And what you said is so right, is that women are often... You know, so many times I've been called, oh, this is Charlie Booker's wife, Connie. And it's like, well, no, I'm a person. That's what I'm not just someone's yeah. wife, you know. And mm. it, it, women get so much flack that men don't get, just because. And it's not because people are sexist. It's not because society is sexist. It's just because of social norms. Yeah. I mean, society is also takes a, a bit sexist. Time to get rid of those. Yeah. I, I talked about yes. this on The Guilty Feminist the other week, but there's... Um, have you been watching Gentleman Jack? The show Gentleman Jack? So this won't spoil anything, but there's a scene in it where um, Saran Jones, a girl, that, a woman that Saran Jones has been um, seeing, um, says, oh, you're so basically you're waiting for your husband dying, then you'll come to me because I've got money, and that's what, and that's what you're doing. And she was talking about it from an emotional point of view. If they didn't have sort of hats and corsets on, it probably would have been a classic uh, couple chat in a cafe, but they're in a carriage and it's past. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but uh, the, the girl who she was seeing said, yeah, that's all I have. All I have mm. is to sleep my way up. I don't have anything else. Yeah. I don't have mm. rights. I don't have my own money. There, this is the only thing I can do is just to marry my way into things. And those echoes, it takes generations to get rid of those echoes. Even yeah. the words we use, the old books we use, the stories we have. Completely. It takes a long time to get rid of that stuff. Yeah, and it just sinks into your brain and mm. it becomes about how you feel about yourself. It's not like you're consciously playing into the way that society feels. I think it just becomes how you value yourself. Connie, I'm really interested in you saying that because you are married and your marriage is quite public and you know you're known as part of a couple Mm -hmm. was it hard for you after being so successful and so independent was it hard to kind of suddenly be in that thing which I'm sure is beautiful but it's also a 
leftover of that kind of time? You know what I find is really hard in society in general is that you know, and Catherine kind of hit upon it really well uh, a bit earlier in that, so I remember before I got married to Charlie, when I was single, it, it's that thing of if you're a woman, people expect, oh, have you found anyone? I'll fix you yeah. up with someone, you know, that thing. Whereas people don't do that to blokes. If never. a bloke is single, they never do that. It's like society expects you, if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman in your mid to late 30s upwards, that you're kind of not complete. Yeah. If you they don't, don't believe you. If yeah. you say, no, I'm choosing this, they're like, oh, that's really yeah, sad. If you think <laughs> I'm happy as I am, they're like, yeah. she's not happy. She's just saying, yeah. are you proving it to us or to yourself? And yeah. it's it really talk about my mum even though she's here but the other day she <laughs> finally looked at me and went oh you're too busy for a boyfriend <laughs> I was like yeah it's taken you a while but yeah it's actually a choice it's yeah. not a kind of thing and people do look at you funny still yeah I think and what's so important about seeing things like say Catherine what I love about your special and for to see something and someone speaking about it is and even when I was watching I was like oh yeah um, because the more versions of those stories there are the better Catherine and I both grew up in single parent families and so I often think like when I think of a, a boyfriend I think of X, Y and Z but when I think of a house and what a family looks like, I'm kind of like, oh, where, um, like, where'd you, <laughs> where'd you put, where'd him? you put the man during the day, though? <laughs> like, does he, does he have a room or where is there? I don't understand. And if you only see that as a model of a family, and then like, a lot, and I, to be honest, I will say there's a bit of a link between dead arabs and fathers and women succeeding in comedy. Look at the. <laughs> But, uh, but if, you, if you see that model and you know it's possible and you know it's possible to have a very happy, successful life, it's not the craziest jump. And maybe only once you start going out and talking about it. And I haven't seen many people talk about it the way you t you've talked about but it. But I want yeah. people, not just girls, but I want people to know that they can be that complete without needing yeah. someone because I've been in relationships that were bad for me and quite dangerous. And I got into those at vulnerable times mm. when I really thought I either had shame about being a single mother or I felt vulnerable and I went, oh, I really need someone. Mm. You, you'll do. You yeah. with the ax. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and also, but even when you say that, people do look at you like you're deluding yourself. Which what I is find hard is there's a different with. stigma between, say, a, a mother who's chosen that life, and I grew up in a family where my mother was a widow, and I remember one time being picked up from school, and my mother was late, and uh, this Irish woman said, oh, God, where's your mammy? And I'm like, oh, she's just late, and you're on your own here by the gate, are you? Oh, God. And I was like, and I remember, I just remembered the aura or the energy around her face, and she was like, oh, God, where's your daddy? And I just knew, it was, fir it was the first time I could sort of seen judgment before, and I was like, he's dead and I could see the relief on her face <laughs> like oh god a noble mother on her own <laughs> that one's all right you'll still go to heaven my child and, and just this idea that the stronger is the like that the chosen life of that is it there's a stigma attached yeah. to the idea that you would choose or leave you know but in Connie, some ways. how you was it for you going from that to being part of a couple? Did you kind of have to figure it out in your head? I mean, there is that thing of uh, being someone's wife, which yeah. is a bit, it's kind of a bit annoying. It's and the thing that makes me almost most angry in the world, except for Michael from Love Island. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it makes me furious. 
Yeah, because you're a person in your own right. We're all sort of people with uh, lots of different feathers to our bows. That no feathers yeah. to our cap. What's to our bow? Strings? I don't know. What, <laughs> what are those rubbish sayings that people say? Anyway, something like that. And um, you know, I, I. So y- you mentioned the book that I've got coming out, and what we were just saying earlier about how it's changing social norms and mm. how people perceive everything in general. And I think you can only do that by working on children. So, for instance. We don't, we don't eat other humans, right? None of you eat other humans, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. What? I did last because, night, am I right? Well, no, I'm just getting to the point. I'm getting to Michael from Love Island, uh, I would eat. Because we're, we're disgusted by the thought. So if, I don't know, all children, I'm not vegetarian, but I'm trying hard, but I, I, um, I didn't grow up as a vegetarian. All my mm. friends that grew up as vegetarians, they're sort of as disgusted about eating meat as mm. I would be about eating another human being, because it's all conditioning. Like, mm. we don't eat snake. It's just sort of what you're used to. There's a wasp on your breast. Shall I intervene? <laughs> Sorry, I've digressed. Okay, it's gone. Has it gone? We um, might need a man yeah, so to get rid of it. Changing society <laughs> from Catherine's for sugar. breast. Um, He's okay. not going to hurt. She's calm. But wasps can tell that she's yeah. calm. Good aura. Um, yeah, so if we start with kids and sort of teach values of equality and, and you know, inclusivity mm. and sort of minorities, that's another thing. I've always grown up being, b- being called a minority. And um, when I first got my job on Blue Peter, it was like, first British Bangladeshi gets a job on TV, on Blue Peter, you know. And everyone's like, first <laughs> British Bangladeshi. It's like, yeah, but I can present as well, honestly, I'm a person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all right, I'm all right. Yeah, and I'm brown. Mm. But the point <laughs> is, is that we're all minorities in this big, amazing majority that makes it the melting pot that it is. Mm. And you could be a minority, I don't know, because you like your shirt and no one else does. I do like your shirt. <laughs> this is just an example. Because it's a bold choice to be <laughs> Fair it is a bold choice. <laughs> but there's all situ- there's so many situations yeah. where you're an outsider or a minority or other. But the thing is, we all have been in those situations. Yeah. And by flagging it up, you have to go through that sort of tokenism. We have to go to the, through this annoying bullshit phase of switching around before it can become the norm. I was told by a really right-wing MP the other day that oh. I would never, ever get into politics because of my hair. And it, I've never wanted to get into politics. And I was like, right, I will see you in the House of yeah. Parliament. But also, like, Donald Trump. He's well known for his hair. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, no, I'm really interested in that. How... Because one thing I'm very obsessed with feminism is not... You know, we all know that people can be horrible. Mm. Like, the man that said I'd never get into my hair and I just shouted at him. <laughs> but the worst part is, is when it goes into your subconscious yeah. and you start believing, believing the it. things that the patriarchy is telling you. So how, when you were that young and you were going on Blue Peter and there were all the headlines saying First well, British Bangladeshi, how did you still have the confidence to push through and not kind of feel othered? This is really awful, but I think it did sort of make me sort of racist against my own because I was so wow. busy trying to prove how normal I am and I remember and I think how normal as well that's horrible yeah that's a horrible way and you know but it's in feminism it's in you know having a disability anything minority your shirts (laughs) (laughs) but the point is is that I remember I went so it started earlier than that I went to I went to I grew up in quite a middle class 
suburban neighbourhood and I was sort of, my parents saved every penny to send me to private school. So I was always the kid that didn't go on the skiing trips and the sort of, I always felt like the sort of inferior substandard one. And I'd want to sort of be like the cool girls sort of flicking my hair. And I and I do remember being really young and this kid pointing at the playground and going, ha ha, she's from India, right? I know, I was um. quite young at primary school and I remember thinking, no, I'm not. And in my head, I was like, I'm from Bangladesh, so I'm not lying, I'm not from India. But I know, externally, I was saying, no, I'm not, because I think I just want to be like you Like guys. everyone else, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, you do start becoming like that. And I watched the OJ, has anyone seen the OJ Simpson documentary? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you see that bit at the beginning where he's trying to be the jock and fit in. And I kind of thought, oh, this is awful, but I can relate to that a bit. Yeah. And yeah, I'm watching going, he's awful. Look how racist he is against his own. Oh, but I think we all do it. It's even like girls that say, you know, oh, I'm only friends with guys and I actually don't yeah. like other women and which is my worst thing. Yeah, that's say. But it's <laughs> the same kind of thing. It's like we want to other ourselves from the groups were a part of. And then of. there's a question of when you lean into that as a power. I mean, look at how many people are here because they associate with a term or yeah. something they fall under. And I think sometimes you can you can be afraid of losing your complexity as a person so much yeah. that to be identified as something feels like a loss, whereas actually there's a lot of power, a power yeah. in being Irish. You identify as Irish, Catherine. Ireland definitely takes you in. or like one I of our own. Um, <laughs> but there can be a power in also in de- identifying with your yeah. community the just m- when you don't have authorship over yeah. it. When someone else puts it on you, rather than you saying, I'm proud to be from Bangladesh, or am I proud that my family came from Bangladesh? I mean, the more minorities there are in a majority, the more interesting. Mm. You know, nowadays, when I was growing up, so I was embarrassed that my parents ate curry at home, because curry isn't what it is today. It'd be like, you know, there weren't even extractor fans in those days. I'm very old, (laughs) very old. And and the thing is, you know, if I had a plate, I'd think, Mum, Dad, don't, whatever you do, you know, can we just have fish fingers and babies? And we did have fish fingers and babies. But the point is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm saying we didn't have curry every night, but I was sort mm. of embarrassed of yeah. it. Yeah. Which, and now, look, on a high street, we've got wagamamas and chiquitos. And <laughs> you can have Italian and this and that. But so multiculturalism and everything, all the things that yeah. make people other bring so much to a society. And actually going to the point of women, women in the workplace have done amazing things because they see things differently than men. Yeah. So you, you bring something new to an equation and it's all the minorities that make progress better and make society a better place I have this plan that if after we leave the EU for anyone who voted leave you can only order English food on delivery (laughs) (laughs) it's like a block put on your thing Um, Catherine I want to ask you about so we called this book Feminist Don't Wear Pink because I grew up thinking I wasn't a feminist because I like wearing tutus and I liked having my hair done and I cared more about makeup than I did about politics for my whole life (laughs) and then I realised actually that was just bullshit (laughs) you have been very open about having cosmetic surgery done about your love of clothes and you look incredible how did it take did you always know you're a feminist how did you align that side of you with your feminism because i think cosmetic surgery particularly is still there's a huge argument around it in feminism and it it's one of the things i think we haven't really sorted out you know how we're like we've got a checklist 
that we're working through. I think that's one of the things we're still like, I don't really understand if this is good or bad. No, that's a tricky one. I feel very uh, Eminem. I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, the why would I so say that. I am? <laughs> so sometimes when people joke, like, you've had all this plastic surgery, you ha-, then I just on stage go, yeah, and I've had all this plastic surgery. I got breast implants in 2004, back oh. when it was still dangerous, y'all. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I know. Um, just say, I'm an early adopter, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> You're early on the trend. Thank you for that. Um, I always say it could be those little goldfish you win at the carnival. I don't know what's in there. (laughs) Dave died. But um, my feminist journey was a tricky one because I definitely grew up in a feminist household. My mom is and was always this uh, the woman who did everything and didn't wait for a man and always worked three jobs and was a great uh, role model. But, uh, and even then, uh, there's an old video on YouTube. I did poetry in my school, in French school, and everyone else was like, my dog is brown. And my poem was about how you shouldn't make children kiss anyone. It was called Des Baisers. And I was like, Des Baisers, Des Baisers. It was like slam poetry about like, (laughs) consent. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, I really got it. But at the same time, I think I, I didn't want to be part of that fight. I went, yeah. oh God. So instead, I worked at Hooters, and I... I didn't know that. And I had skin-colored hair and hair-colored skin, <laughs> and breast implants, and then I got my lips, like filler in my lips, my lips enlarged, and then I just thought, I wanna be one of those girls that's quiet. Because I was always saying inflammatory yeah. things or upsetting me. I never meant to, but I thought the way that I am feels like a lot of work. And then the I only <laughs> thing I used to want people to say about me was that I was nice. Yeah. I didn't care about anything else. Right. Not clever, not funny, not anything. I just wanted people to think I was nice. So you spend a lot of your early childhood throwing all your tools away, going, I don't want to be clever. I don't yeah. want to be funny. I just yeah. want to be nice. I want to be nice and pretty and quiet. Yeah. Those are the things that I r- correctly thought would get me an easy life. And then I learned that uh, the world was changing. And you do get bored doing mm-hmm. that. It's sort of like those women who marry rich, you earn every yeah. penny. And then one day it just <laughs> all comes out. A lot of cardio. Um, I, so do, but do you ever find you get kickback from the feminist community around those kind of things or not really? Well, we'll never be the perfect feminist or the perfect version of what someone else expects. I haven't actually had any like needles in my face in a while, but I will do again because I think it's fun. I got a little lost in the game for a while and I think I had too much maybe a year and a half ago and then I was like, well, but I, I, I just got lost in the game with eyelashes. I went through like six months of fake yeah. eyelashes and then my <laughs> the person doing my fake eyelashes found me on Instagram and sent me a message and said, you have to stop. Really? <laughs> yeah, she was like, they look awful. You have to stop. I'm coming over and taking them all out for free. I don't remember like, a period okay, of your eyelashes looking awful. I will say that. Yeah. But one can okay. easily get lost in the game, and that's yeah. the message. But it's like a hobby. I think it's a hobby. Boys are allowed to like football, and that's way more pointless than getting your eyelashes yeah. done. Um, Connie, I want to ask you another question about your book, because mm. it's so amazing. Can you tell us a bit about what it's about and why it was so important for you to write a book about a girl, about a Bangladeshi girl, and about a girl who likes maths and science and all those things? Well, you know what? So basically, like I said, I was like the first British Bangladeshi presenter. And I thought, but I'm normal too. So weirdly, when I was growing up, right, any... Uh, 
literature, any children's books about um, kids that were brown, like me, would be in this section in our local library, the international section. There were like three <laughs> books in it, and it would be about, I don't know, Amaya in the village picks a mango for her mum. Yeah. And then I've read that book. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know the one. It's so great. I had a choice of three books about the brown kid, and then she picks a mango from her mum in the village, and I thought, I can't relate to that. I don't pick mangoes for my mum. And, you know, so growing up, there weren't many books, which is probably why I wanted to be the same as those other people and have baked beans and fish and chips every night or whatever it was. Um, and then, you know, I grew older and I realised... So I, uh, this year, the Carnegie Award, which is the medal for the best children's literature, went to um, a book about slam poetry, actually. But, um, Catherine, your forte. Yeah, <laughs> Catherine's... Gros baiser mouillé de la voisine d'à côté. Un baiser plein de rouge à lèvres de la gardienne Marie-Ève. Can't do that. <laughs> so basically, the lady that wrote it, she said, wow, I, to think that I would have ever have won, and it was the, um, <laughs> the Shadows Choice as well, which means children in schools up and down the country, um, uh, voted for it as well. And she said, because this is such a niche book about a black girl in the US growing up in a ghetto, and her parts of it are in Spanish, she's Hispanic, and... Um, and then she hit upon it in that, like, uh, we're all governed by, this is going to sound it was feelings of the heart. So everything else is set dressing. So, you know, you're jealous of someone, you want to be someone, you love someone, whatever. That's all in here. All the rest is the set dressing that governs those feelings. So when you read the book, you can relate to those feelings, if you can't, even if you can't relate to the set dressing. Um, but then the set dressing educates you mm. about being in another world. Books can take you to wherever you want to go, and they can educate, and they also breed empathy, especially in, in young people, which is really important for society in general, and not having serial killers, and not having people join, I don't know, UKIP or whatever. But empathy yeah. is so important. But also, I I just hate the idea that when it comes to women and it comes to minorities, we're meant to only relate to books specifically about us. Mm. Like, I, you know, I grew up thinking I was Harry Potter and <laughs> wanting to be Harry Potter and, like, thinking Hermione was lame. And, like, yeah. all girls know how it feels to relate to boys. Yeah. And mm. boys never have to do it in reverse. And funny you should mention that book because J.K. Rowling had to call herself J.K. Rowling because she knew if she put Joanne on the cover there would be no girls, uh, no boys um, buying that book wow. compared to if she put J.K. Rowling on the cover. So I wanted to create a central female character that boys would buy into as well. So she's, and I was quite a tomboy. I mean, I grew up in a Muslim family. I grew up in trousers. So she's always in trousers anyway. And the title's a bit ambiguous. Lots of people think it is about a boy. It I thought it was about a boy for a minute and I was like, oh my God, yeah. how could she betray us like this? <laughs> I'm not having her on my podcast. Yeah, she's like, Connie, you're sold out and Can then she realised but um so I want but also like I was sort of saying about the girl in the village buying the mangoes as well I often thought that things that were sort of told said you know preached to me is like this is a good book about social awareness and good values or whatever they were often too preachy so I always describe it as sort of Bridget Jones meets wimpy kid and she is yeah. brown but that's sort of secondary yeah. because everything all the feelings that everyone feels are universal and weirdly 
in, I did economics as a degree subject in university, but this is this really weird parallel. But like, so in economics, there's left-wing thinking and right-wing thinking, right? I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I really think it relates to people. In the right-wing thinking thinks if you increase the money supply, you increase the prosperity and the GDP of a nation. Yeah. Left-wing thinking thinks if you pump it into services and schools and hospitals and stuff like that, you increase the GDP of a nation. Both are right to some extent. But right-wing thinking only works in the short term because otherwise you get wage price inflation and it's all just back to the same level. I'm going to get to the point. I know you're <laughs> baffled. Um, it's good, it's a Whereas left-wing thinking, we live in a society with good hospitals and a brilliant NHS. And that's the same as people. So you can govern, right? All we want in life is happiness. But it's how we think we get that happiness. And in society, people think material goods give yeah. them that happiness. Mm. And you are happy when you get the iPhone 1000 for all of three seconds till mm. the iPhone 2000 comes yeah. out. And it's that short-lived happiness before mm. the wage price inflation has caught up. Yeah. Whereas if you're happy through loving Ashleen and <laughs> having, I don't know, having good friends or a partner or whatever, you know, affairs of the heart, that's longevity. And that can come and go, but you're not always chasing this dream. Oh my gosh, I'm going from one number. No, it's so beautiful. No, I love stop it. apologizing for yourself. <laughs> it's so interesting. But it's like, when is enough enough? The iPhone 10,000 will come out and then infinity and we'll be chasing mm. it and we're keeping up with the Joneses and trying to buy clothes that's next season the whole time, thinking that governs our happiness. Mm. And I know this seems like I'm going off piece, but happiness is sort of governed through in here. And so you need to find the happiness within, which is why, say as women that feel we need to, I don't know, fit into this perception of what men want us to be or what society want us to be that's never going to be real yeah. happiness because we're sort of doing it through this well you can't put it on it has to come from within and commercial and, you know it's yeah. being seen as a complex person with all of your flaws and still being loved and to be truly seen by someone you know what it's like when yeah. someone's having a conversation mm. and we're doing this that's very different to someone looking at you in the eye and yeah. actually having a conversation with you and that can't that can't be um, fabricated. That, that, that's only made by biology. That's why we naturally come together as humans. It's in our biology that we have to come together or else we wouldn't procreate. We'd all go and live in the woods on our own. I know mm -hmm. that's an ironic thing to say while we're all in the woods. But, um, <laughs> but it's actually... It, it do, it, live in the it, woods it, together. Yeah. Like, well, guys, we, well, we can all have happy. an open marriage. No, um, I, yeah. But there's something in our biology, how we're made up to, co to, to come together. And with, without that, it starts to have a detrimental effect on our bodies. And as a society, as we start kind of going away from each other more and more and connecting with each other through our phones rather than physical touch and eye contact and all sitting beside each other quite squashed in a tent, <laughs> it, has a, it has a neurological effect on us and a biological effect on us. And it's, it's, it's not yeah. good for us, basically. Yes, I Real think it point. can be. I'm a, no, it's a very good point. I think it can be. I'm a very big advocate of... Thank you. <laughs> yeah. One person who's also my friend, Anna. We'll have but questions at the end. Right. Yeah. Questions. Yeah. Um, reach yeah. out and touch each other, everybody. Reach out um, and touch each other. I always say, I think for me, feminism was the beginning of when I became happy because mm. it was the first time I wasn't sort of hating myself or thinking that everything bad that happened in my life was my fault. It was mm. like the first time I realized that actually it was the world. I just think everyone was great, but I was awful. And then I realized it was the opposite way. <laughs> um, I have a real question. Um, I think it's very easy, you know, you guys obviously are feminists, everyone in this room raised their hand. It's very easy at the moment to say you're a feminist by the ethical t-shirt. And, but it's sometimes quite hard to know what to do with that or how to kind of do feminism. How do you, all of you feel you do your feminism in your everyday life? Because we're all too busy. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm not. This is literally all I do. So. <laughs> I think friendship is a core thing. Um, I remember... Well, I might actually get emotional when I say this. I had um, a breakup, and I remember... two. Actually, I've had two breakups. And this With is a perfect example. They are now Catherine's enemies. Like I'm like, well, they're complicated people. <laughs> and Catherine's like, they'll be in a grave by midnight, <laughs> schling. Um, but like, it's, it, here's a perfect example of how we all love in different ways and stuff like that. But I remember one time I was supposed to go to the BAFTAs with someone and Catherine... Very relatable uh, content. Very re Just relatable. <laughs> hey, guys, you know what it's like when you're on the way to a BAFTAs to present an award? You know what that's like? Am I right? Um, no, but I had nothing to wear and I was really sad. And there was a knock at the door and it was an Uber that Catherine had sent over a dress. And like in that moment, it just needed to look nice. And the next day I was voted one of uh, the worst dressed of the uh, <laughs> And uh, can I tell you the reason? They said, Ashing B was a little too covered up. Um, but, oh but like in God. that moment, Catherine put a dress in an Uber. And the thing I need was to sort of look pretty. And yeah. a similar thing happened uh, a while ago when I went through another one of my famous breakups. Honestly, I got dumped more than puppies in, in January. Um, <laughs> but uh, Catherine was like, come over, B. And like, I again arrived over me, over me, blah. And you just did my nails very nicely. And it's a moment of like human connection when mm -hmm. you just need someone. And yourself and, and your partner, Bobby, just shattered the And the next the day person. they were voted worst nails. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I took a chance on the salon. I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Um, but in those moments, I, I, I do think the tiny moments of friendship. And again, on that note, I remember reading a very early one of your scripts. And this was before Cat Catherine had sort of shot off into the sky. And it was all about Hooters. Do you remember that script you wrote about Hooters oh, yeah, and you'd yeah. sent to me? And it, it was set on Hooters and kind of based on your life. But the core theme of it, and this is pre-Bridesmaids or that movie, the core theme of it was friendship and connection. And in all their complicated ways all these like weird people and bad people and people going well you I remember there was one scene you were asking uh, uh, one girl was asking the other girl to help her take a selfie squat in the toilet to send to a guy and they were like helping each other and even though that's obviously a comedy quite sexual moment there's the idea of helping each other and connecting and just those moments when you can do a little thing for a pal for me that's that that they're the tiny little threads for anyone and it's not just about um female friendship or male friendship it's 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 about tiny moments of connection when you can help each other build you up because you will get it back tenfold. I mean, if we're going to categorise it as feminism, it should probably be about women. But oh yeah, 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 yeah not yeah, male yeah, friendship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think male friendships look better, you know, lads, lads. Um, Do you think that's practice. how you think of doing feminism? Do you think of those acts as feminism? Yeah, because I think that. Uh, Female comedians, especially, do think of themselves as a collective and as very supportive. I don't know that it's the same everywhere or if mm. it's exactly the same for the boys, but we are so super united, and I feel that what's good for one of us is good for the collective. Mm. I really do feel like that, and I think it's good to pretend to be someone's friend and then to send them a dress that gets them voted <laughs> worse. <laughs> You bitch. Uh, oh, I didn't get my point. So the dress. next day I was voted worse. So watch your back. That's all I'm saying with Catherine. Yeah, but you, you know, you can always, in our specific position, the reason I sent Ashling that script is because anything that I'm doing, I'm thinking of how I can reach out to and mm. also employ other women yeah. and get feedback from other women and um, those women just happen to be some of my very greatest heroes and my friends. 
Okay, shall we take some audience questions? This woman has her hand up for ages. You can go first. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't really know if that's not really a question, I guess, but... but um, so where are you? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Have um, you seen my tent? <laughs> no. Um, my, 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 my name's um, Sally Payne, and um, I, I'm 30 years old, and um, I, I, I'm just learning um, how to... Um, uh, um, um, how to accept myself, um, which has been difficult. I, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, and um, I have a diagnosis of atypical autism. Um, so it's been like hard to fit in, but um, but yeah, I'm learning like to just accept myself, and um, yeah, as I'm getting older, I think it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Really amazing. Thank you so much for saying that. I think, like, yeah, I'm so sorry it's been hard, and I know that feeling very, very well. And I had, as my family who's over there knows, came to this festival for four years in a row and had a panic attack at every single one. And one of them, I was so anxious I then couldn't get in a car, so I had to walk home from here. It took like an hour just crying and sobbing in a tutu. And it's really, really hard, and I never, ever thought that I'd get here or doing this or like be able to be at the festival so it is possible you are um anyone else um, oh, you, you can do it sorry because you've got the mic <laughs> thank you um so when someone tells you they are not a feminist what do you say to them and do you ever worry about embodying the sort of stereotype of the angry feminist no <laughs> <laughs> um Sometimes just protect yourself and don't say anything because it's a lot of effort to try and convince someone to be a feminist over dinner in a pub. <laughs> um, I do this really geeky thing where I always have a list of stats on my phone which like prove gender inequality. Um, and then you don't have to like give emotional responses. You can just be like, well, actually, if you look at the gender pay gap, um, makes me really fun at parties. Uh, what do you guys do? I think... Um, if somebody does say that, they're often looking, they want to, they're cruising for a bruising. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you can be the bigger person and sort of pity them. Pity's yeah. good, you know. Mm. They, but, um, yeah, I just think it, there's a lot of time to waste. I mean, if it's someone that's genuinely, you can make a judgment call. You know, mm. genuinely, we can win them around to the cause, go for it. But I think most people that come out with statements like that, because if someone says they're not a feminist, feminism is about equality. And equality is about justice in society and just being a nice person. So you could just tell them they're not a nice person. Also, right they'll probably <laughs> get it one day. Really like cool the situation down. Yeah. <laughs> Why they're cruising for a bruising, just tell them they're not a nice person, yeah? One yeah, of my things is up. no one ever says, I used to be a feminist and then I changed my mind. So it's something that like once it happens, you're through the looking glass whatever and I think some people it just takes them a while and you don't know what it's going to be my mum texted me the other day and she was like I finally got feminism yeah. I was like oh my god how <laughs> she was like The Incredibles 2 <laughs> I was like yeah you've read my book you've come to loads of these podcasts I've made you read loads of Virginia Woolf but I'm so yeah. glad it was Mrs Incredibles plight to work <laughs> that did it for you sorry she's looking at me now I feel embarrassed um, anyone else 
one I'll yeah sorry from people here. really have priority <sighs> but they did also get here early bloated, okay um hi i think you're really cool all of you uh so i work in a job that's quite male dominated it's like typically male right. what job is it Can um, I ask? Well, like, i work in an auction house wow it, yeah it's really cool but like when you're booking in stuff and you have men being like huh you're doing this wrong yeah i've never seen a woman in an auction house oh it's yeah there's like two of us <laughs> <laughs> um but basically i don't know how because if a man says something that's like horribly sexist or he makes me feel like crap i don't i'm just kind of like oh and then i go off and cry in a toilet and sometimes, like, a Saturday morning is just, like, I would have cried, like, four times. That's the thing. I'm not an emotional person. But when it, like, grinds it, you it down. It hits you. It hits you in this, like, special place. Thing when he's like, oh, you can't lift that. And I'm like, okay. Probably can't, but yeah. still. <laughs> like, what, how do you deal with it? Like, what do you do? Because I can't keep, like, you know, I'm going to yeah. lose it. It's so hard. Um, yeah. We were actually we were talking about this the other night. My Angelou has a quote: "Is that you don't remember sometimes what people said; it's how they made you feel." Yeah. And if you're, it's very easy to be up here and be like, "Guys, we gotta collect." Um, but if if you're actually being made feel small constantly all the time and like you don't matter, you don't exist, it's very hard to just wake up every day and be like, "I will go like this and just yeah. simply walk into work with the backtrack on." And like I remember when I did I did a panel show when I was just starting out. And I was the only girl and I was really excited about doing it. And um, I noticed tiny little things from the start. The producer, one of the producers like, oh no, there's another, there's gonna be another girl on a night and she's a celebrity. And um, so you guys could have a wee cat fight or something like that. That might be funny as a joke. And I was like, oh no, she's a, she's a model and I'm a comedian, so I'll just come up with jokes. And, and then they sent me home to, to the hotel to blow dry my hair. And I didn't realize all of the other male comedians were working on their jokes. And that night the show was a bit tired. It just didn't go that well. It was no big deal. Um, but I kind of was powering ahead. And one of the male comedians in the bar afterwards, I was like, oh, do you have any feedback for me, by the way? Like, I'd love to learn and just get better, you know? Like, they're not kind of new. And I'm um, like, open up to criticism. And I remember he said to me, yeah, no, I do actually. Um, put it this way, uh, a panel shows a family, and when daddy's talking, the little girl shuts the fuck up. <gasps> and and I, I, I'd love to say that I stood up and I was like, do you know what? Me and my friends are gonna earn more than you in five years time. But I didn't. I went upstairs to the hotel and I cried and I cried and I cried. And it took me a year before I even had the confidence to think I could go on a panel mm. show again. And it really, do, like it grated away at me. I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't gracious. They must know what they're doing. They're the big boys. And it, it, it is hard to suddenly reboot yourself up when those little things, you can't lift this. It's always little jokes because you're on your own. And I do think that's when, connecting to commute, walking away, yeah. go to the bathroom and have your cry, but then don't keep going back in, like Amber and Michael in Love Island, don't keep going back into those toxic situations. Deal with them, because you can't just leave your job, but uh, go find your community, find a, yeah. a tent to people and, and have the confidence to ask for a microphone to ask a question. Go and find your online community, listen to the podcasts. It's not going to be ideal or fixed overnight, but slowly but surely, at some point you will be in a hiring position and you're going to say no to someone who looks like a little shit and hire someone who yeah. looks like you. Yeah. And it's slow but sure, but it is like we were saying with Sally, it's little moments of physio for yourself and getting back that power, but to not lose your inner six-year-old yeah. grip that knows she can do it. Or just get a big hammer and be like, oh, da, oh, da. Yeah. <laughs> that is 
an amazing way to end, I think. And sorry, guys. You can just come find me around the festival and ask questions. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry you've been through that. And I think just knowing, like, you have every single person in this tent and beyond. And we've all been through that. And you are the least alone person in the world. And he's actually alone because he's an idiot. Um, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for showing up. You have been listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, hosted by me, Scarlett Curtis. The book is available everywhere books are sold and 10% of every copy goes to the UN charity Girl Up. It's also available as an ebook and audiobook, read partially by me, if you prefer to listen. If you liked this podcast, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps the podcast and it helps us reach people who might not think they're feminists. We'll be back next week with another amazing guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a feminist. Have a great day. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.